There is no one, not even the most reckless of gamblers in the world that would have put money on Nate Reich to be a world record holder. Never mind the near impossible odds that we all face between the numbers games and nature and nurture of it all, Nate was never supposed to be able to compete again after a golf accident left half of his body paralyzed at a young age. Now, between determination and grit, paired with time, rehab, and therapy, Nate has got to a point where he can compete with able-bodied athletes and not only hold his own, but excel. Since leaving school, Nate has gone on to declare and compete with the T38 category, a pair category for motor impairment, cerebral palsy, and traumatic brain injury, and has gone on to show just how capable he is, capturing the 800-meter and 1500-meter records in that classification. Now, in 2019, Nate has improved on both of those records with strong openers, a 153.87 and 357.84 respectively, and is showing a lot of promise as we work our way through the season. Nate joins us to chat about para awareness, training, and how he went from a situation that didn't hold a whole lot of hope to becoming a world record holder. My name is Michael Rokas, and you are listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Naturally, to kick off the conversation with Nate, we started by talking about the 153.87, the brand new world record for the T38 800 meter run. We also talked about how is training's going so far this season. Yeah, definitely. Tra- training's been going really well. Um, it, uh, I've been doing a lot of base work, so it's been kind of really new to me because uh, in the past, we've done a lot of speed work at this time of the year. Um, and yeah, we've just been doing a lot of base work and the last three weeks we decided to kind of, I was getting a little bit bored, um, cause I wasn't running as fast as I would like. Um, so me and my coach Heather Henninger and, uh, Mike Antigum, uh, we both kind of chatted about possibly doing a little mini peak for, uh, nationals. Um, and I'm going to run the 1500 para and 800 able body there. Um, so that just gives me an uh, opportunity to kind of go after both of my goals. There's a whole bunch of questions to, to be asked off of that, but first time I'm going to ask you to kind of define what base work means to you. Is that, is that like a lot of threshold stuff and, and higher mileage? Yeah, base work is, we actually weren't that high mileage, but it was just a lot of threshold because I hadn't really done that much threshold uh, in the past. Um, my background is more of a 400-meter runner, 4'8 guy. Um, because my, my dad was an Olympian in the javelin, um, former NCAA record holder. Uh, my mother was a pole vaulter who won the Olympic trials in, uh, in 2000. So I always grew up kind of around that explosive and speed. Um, and my parents didn't fully understand how to put mileage on properly. So especially in high school, like I never put a lot of mileage on just because they didn't want to hurt me or uh, take away my enjoyment, enjoyment for, for the sport. Oh, definitely, definitely. What what have you noticed since uh, you know adding the threshold and stuff? I, I know, like I've ta- I've talked to a lot of distance guys, and they say you know like the threshold is kind of the the bread and butter. Like what? How how do you feel that it's affected you? Yeah, I definitely felt, especially from like I would say from eight hundred to like the probably the last k to the last k to the last five hundred of my fifteen hundred. I know it's a huge difference. Um, last year with Mike, Mike Santigum coaching me, he, uh, we did a lot of that and I hadn't PB'd in probably about four years, three years. And I had two PBs in five days, um, in the 15. So 
and uh, Belgium. So, um, yeah, it's made a huge difference. So speaking of the 1500, you opened up in, in 357.84, um, you know, earlier this season. And then, like I said, the the 153.87, how how does that compare to, to pass openers? Is, does this feel about right? Are you improving, do you think, uh, over even last year? Yeah, so it, I, I wasn't too happy with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, we just hadn't done the work, honestly. Um, I've opened in college. My fastest open was 353. Um, but, like, we hadn't even done really any 400 work, like, on the track. It was mostly just threshold. So, um, that, luckily, I have, good, I have good coaches who can put me put that into perspective for me. And um, But, yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely think I'm in shape to – Run sub three fifty right now, so should be interesting. In in your world record uh, race this past weekend, is that something that, that you had in mind? You know, like that. You know, I I know that we were talking off the record about what makes a world record, but like, was that something that you had in mind that that this would be world record eligible and that you could you know further improve that because you you took quite a bit of time off. Yeah, honestly, I don't really think about that um, really that that much. I really focus. Uh, I'm a big like times are great, but um, I really just try to compete for the win every time I race. Um, that's really always been my goal, and really my big goal is to win the Para Olympics in 2020 and win Worlds in 2019. So those are kind of my big goals, and I just kind of see this as as the process, and I try not to get too up or too down by a race or coming coming into a race so um i definitely thought i was in pb shape and i was just slightly off my pb about 0.9 um and so uh yeah i mean workouts have been great going into it so is as far as the world record goes you you can race against able-bodied athletes and and that'll count as the record so there are a couple things have to happen first it has to be ibc classified that's just and you get to do that about six weeks out there's just a process Usually my coach takes care of it, so I'm not quite sure exactly what go- what goes in. I just think there, you know, uh, needs to be. I'm sure e- electronic timing and just make sure that uh, there's a bunch of rules that need to be placed, and also there needs to be drug testing. I don't have to be drug tested, but there just has to be drug testing at the meet. If not, they have to call drug testers to come and test me. You know, I was interested uh, when earlier you said that you wanted to to run the pair of fifteen, and um, you know the regular eight. What what's the, what's the mm-hmm. thought process behind that? Why why the designation for one but not for the other? Yeah, because I think uh, like as a uh, like after I got injured, the doctor always said, "Oh, you'll you'll never be able to walk without a limp. You'll never be able to play competitive sports ever again." And uh, you know, I I say, why not? Um, you know, I've I was all conference in the U.S. and in in in, in uh, college, and um, you know I've run able body almost my entire life, um, and you know this para stream sport didn't really come into my view until last year. Um, so I was you know very um, I'm very lucky I've I found this, but I've been competing one way my entire life, and I also want to continue that. So if if you run the the regular eight, will you be able to run in the world championships? Um, you know, as as a para eight athlete. Yeah, correct. Uh, well, I, actually, in the t in the t thirty eight, they don't have the eight hundred anymore. Um, they have gone away with that event. Um, so I didn't see a reason to run the para eight if 
it wasn't qualifying for anything. So, you also talked about uh, you know para awareness and and trying to make sure sure that everyone is is aware of what's going on. I mean, I think people know that the games happen, but that that's about as as far as they know, unless there is you know maybe maybe a story that comes out or, or two. It's it's not super accessible. How is that something that, that you really want to change? And and how do you plan on going about that? Yeah, uh, I really hope it changes. Um, you know, I've I've been I've been speaking my entire life at golf at golf tournaments, and now I'm starting to do a lot more stuff within Canada. Um, and I really just want to let, you know, let the kids know that, you know, there, there is a place if you have a disability through an injury or something that happens in your life, there is still elite sports. That's one thing I was really worried about after I got, after I got injured, I was like, you know, my parents have reached this pinnacle of the sport and I've just always been really, com- really competitive. And, um, I wanted to reach that pinnacle of the sport. And I always kind of wondered, like, will I ever get there? Um, and really Paralympics is growing and growing and, you know, it's, it's really a great place for an athlete, you know, like me, um, you know, who, who never really thought that they could get there. And I hope to, you know, just keep being vocal and hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, being, being successful, I'm hoping, you know, uh, will give me an, an, an audience and a, and a platform to speak to kids. And really, if I, if, you know, if I benefit one kid or I influence or motivate one kid, then I'm definitely doing my job. Obviously, the more, the more, the better. But uh, even if you're a para uh, athlete or some big, you've become paralyzed at one point in your body or one time in your life, you can still compete with some of the elite athletes. I know a lot of people, myself included, aren't really aware of what the differences in the in the different classifications are. Perhaps we can start by by explaining what T thirty eight is and why you are considered a T thirty eight athlete. Because I think the story there is is very interesting. Yeah. So um, I uh, the the T thirty eight category is motor impairment, uh, cerebral palsy, and uh, TBI. Um, I got when I was younger. In 2005, I was I lived in the states at the time. I was playing golf with a bunch of my buddies, and uh, it was a hot day in Arizona, about 115 degrees Fahrenheit. And they asked to play through, and um, so we st- stood under a tree. And the gentleman shanked the ball, and he didn't end up saying four, but it ended up hitting me in the head, um, which caused internal bleeding. And immediately, my arm went limp, and I just thought that was kind of weird. So I called my mom. Um, she didn't think too much of it. She had me squeeze her hand and I had full strength in my right hand to squeeze. She dropped my friends off first and then she brought me to the hospital. And by the time we got to the hospital, I had become fully paralyzed on the whole right side of my body. Right as we got into the hospital, um, I had a seizure. Um, and I think at that time, my mom became very worried. Um, and I was in the hospital for a month. And right as I got out of the hospital, like I said, the doctors told me I would never play competitive sports ever again. I would, I would never go to college or never graduate college. Um, and so, you know, those were two big goals for me. And, you know, I've, I've, I've just had things that have taken me longer to do. Um, and, um, but that doesn't mean I can't do them. So you know, take me take me back there. Where you already showing promise as as someone who would be good at athletics is track and field. That something that you had on your radar at that time. 
Yeah, actually, I played baseball. So my stepdad played in the College World Series and played professional baseball for the Giants. Um, and uh, th- uh, through him, I had gone to pitch. And actually, the last game I pitched, I set the Little League uh, record in my local area for 14 strikeouts. Oh, man. The, where, you, where you left off in that, in that story was the fact that, you know, like you, you lost all feeling on, you know, in, in one half of your body. And so explain to me how you go from there to being able to, to run again, because I mean like that, wow, that, that, that sounds like, like quite the process to get from, from one end to the other. Yeah. Well, at first, uh, like I made pretty slow recoveries. My leg came back, like the strength, the strength I had, like towards the end of the hospital is kind of what I still have. Hasn't really gotten much better, but hasn't got worse. Um, and same kind of goes for my arm. My arm really doesn't work when I run very well. It kind of just like, like limps around kind of. And sometimes at the beginning of the race, I'm kind of able to pump it a little bit, but when it gets fatigued, it's like, I just feel like I can't even lift it. Um, and so, yeah, it's lots of therapy. I did therapy for about eight years. Um, but it really, uh, running became kind of a therapy for me at first. Um, and I kind of just did it because that was the only sport I could really play. Um, and we had this running club uh, locally in, in uh, Phoenix. And so I just started, you know, just jogging. And then I ended up running a first race. I ended up winning uh, my first race. And then I just had so much fun. I got that runner's high and kind of want ever since then. I've just been, you know, just keep on going and seeing how far I can take the sport. So from from there from from the high school you you mentioned that you ran in in college, um, you know talk to me a little bit about that. Was were you a walk on or you know were people looking for you or or what happened there? Yeah, so um, I had a high school. Uh, pretty much the thing that allowed me to run in college, I think, was that our state meet in Georgia. Um, I got second, um, and Furman, the coach at Furman, ended up being there, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and so, uh, they ended up giving me a, a half scholarship to go run at Furman. Um, and I was the first class with the new coach, Robert Gary. Um, and so we had seven or eight pretty good recruits. We had like the number three recruit recruiting class in the country the year I went there. Um, and so, yeah, I was definitely at the low, low of the totem pole. I came in with uh 1600 PB of 418 and, uh, 800 PB of 155. Um, so yeah, I was definitely pretty low and definitely enjoyed myself working my way up. Uh, and after my sophomore year, uh, me and the program kind of didn't really meet eye to eye. There's, uh, you know, some things that I felt like I needed. Um, and, uh, we decided to part ways and I ended up going to South Alabama for my last two years. Um, and I'm actually still pretty good, really good friends with the coaches at Furman. Just, I don't think it was quite the program for me. Um, and then I really en- kind of enjoyed running so much more at South Alabama. Um, you know, just kind of the full, Furman only had a distance program. And uh, growing up with my parents being field athletes, I kind of really enjoyed that interaction with the sprinters and the jumpers and the throwers. Um, and that was kind of like taken away from me when I went to Furman. So, um, you know, I, I decided to, uh, to, go, to go somewhere else. So you talked about uh, running as as an able body athlete all through then. That means that you had to make a decision once you left college as as to you know pursuing that that designation and stuff. Yeah. So I um, I my last championships um, in 
uh, for a conference at South Alabama, I, I, be, I got last in the final. Um, and it really kind of took a, it was a pretty bitter pill to swallow for me. Um, you know, I was pretty frustrated about that, and I really wanted to continue the sport. As I was growing up, you know, my, both of my parents, you know, reached the pinnacle of the sport. Um, and I really wanted that for myself and, uh, you know, but in my, in my own way. So, um, yeah, I told my mom about it and then she reached out to the para program with, uh, athletics Canada and they kind of want to see if there's an area for me. And, you know, still with the, I still have a skull fracture in my brain, which is right in the motor strip, which controls the whole right side of my body. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up getting classified. Um, and you know, I, I, I didn't really understand the para para Olympics. I didn't know there was an uh, area for me. Um, and that's one of the part of me being a para athlete. I want to kind of vocalize and make sure that kids know that there is, you know, there, there is a category for guys who have motor impairment. Um, you know, and I honestly, I wish I got involved with it earlier because I think I could have had so many, so much more fun experiences going to world championships or junior world championships. Um, you know, so I think it was pretty easy, easy, uh, thing to, to do because this is something I've wanted to do my entire life. I've dreamed about since I was one years old. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a pretty easy decision for sure. So what, what, what is it like, you know, what, like, what is the difference between, um, you know, how you run versus how an able-bodied athlete runs? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot more interaction between, you know, what, what you're telling yourself in your brain and what's happening with the rest of your body that in combination with, you know, all the, all the regular stuff of, of running and, and keeping focus and, you know, like all, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, maybe, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we'll, like recovery wise, obviously recovery is so important in our sport. Um, and really like it takes usually like one or two days for the usual able body athlete to recover. And sometimes it takes me four days. Um, and sometimes in races, I've got to the point where like my right side of my body just stopped working and I've run like a 72 last lap in the 1500. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's kind of like my brain's kind of haywire. You don't know if it's going to work or it's not. Uh, so it's, you know, it's very interesting and really the right side of my body just gets so fatigued and I have to, um, my family has a sports medicine company that, um, has kept me healthy my entire life. And, um, you know, I, I don't, if I didn't have that, I think, you know, there'd be even more problems for me. You know, you train with, with a bunch of able-bodied athletes as, as well too. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about your group. Who are you matching up with in, in workouts? Because I, uh, I, I think the, the group that you're with right now is, is, uh, is, you know, pretty well, well known and, and people will definitely know who those guys are. Yeah. I was actually just talking to, uh, Adam Palmar about you the other day or like 30 minutes ago. I was oh. telling him that I was going on the podcast and, uh, he was saying that, uh, you're an awesome guy. And so, uh, yeah, so I trained with Adam Palmar, Rob Denault. Uh, Ty Fioko is my training partner. Um, he had a PB in the eight this past weekend. So that was, that was awesome to see. So yeah, him and I line up as pretty much as much as we can. Um, uh, Elijah Silva has recently joined the group. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing anyone. Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a group. And then on the woman's side, we have Mariah Kelly, uh, Sarah McPherson, um, Lawrence Cote, um, Adria Prop. So, you know, we have 
some really great, um, some really great uh, athletes. And we have Aaron Teshchuk as well. Um, so yeah, so you know, I I, I made it the, the the decision to run with uh, able-bodied athletes is because I want to you know uh, reach or get as fast as I possibly can. And um, you know, being that I had the world record in my event, there's not necessarily someone to train with in just in the country of, of uh, Canada. So um, I decided to go and find the fastest 1500 guys and 800 guys I can find and go and train with them. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so it sounds like you, you train with with uh, able-bodied athletes. You do a lot of your racing with them. Have you have you raced any para races yet? And, you know, have you come across any of the characters that, that you will be, you know, towing the line with, with quite often? So Liam Stanley, who lives in Victoria, um, I see him all, all, all the time. He's at T37. T37 and T38s race each other at the Para Olympics and Worlds. Um, so I'll be racing him. I ran uh, the, the uh, Berlin Grand, Grand Prix last year, right before Nationals, where I set the two world records in the 15 and, uh, and the 8, and that's the only one that I've done uh, so far this year. Um, so, yeah. You know, there was another decision that you had to make uh, as well, too. You mentioned that, that you lived uh, in the United States for what I would imagine to be most, most of your life. Why, why Canada? Why did you choose to, to run for, for this nation? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first off, all the treatment that my mother brought me to, um, you know, she's Canadian. She was, was born in uh, Edmonton and lived in, lived in Kelowna for a long time. Um, you know, she, it was honestly just a way to pay her back and say thank you. And I've always felt such a sense of pride for Canada. Um, we've, we, every summer we would come up to Canada. Um, and just, I'd always just loved it so much. Um, number two, my grandpa, Jim Harrison, played in NHL for 14 years, played with Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr. Um, he had 10 points in one game. And so, you know, uh, he, he still lives in Canada. And um, obviously I'm so proud of what he did as an athlete and as well as my grandma who passed away when I was two, uh, she was Canadian and, uh, uh, she's, you know, one of them was one of the most important people in my life. And so, uh, as well to give back to her. Um, and those are kind of the big three reasons why. So you've, you've talked about, you know, some of the things that are coming up in, in your season, including, uh, you know, a national championships, but what, what else do you have on, on the board, uh, as, as far as racing goes right now? Yeah, so I'm I'm running the uh, Pacific Distance Carnival tomorrow. I'm running the 1500. Uh, I think that the race is being set up for about a 345 race. Uh, I've run 351, so that really should be great to just jump in line and see what I can do the last 300 meters. And then uh, July 5 to 7, I'm going to run at the BC Championships. Uh, I'll be running the eight, the 800 there, um, trying to go under 150. Um, is obviously a big goal for anyone who hasn't broken 150. So you know, um, I've run 152, so kind of getting getting pretty close. Um, so yeah, and then nationals will be my next one. After yeah. that. You know, you, you mentioned the, the Pacific Distance Carnival, and by the time that this comes out, the uh, the Distance Carnival will will have been run, will have you know, will it will have been run already. But you, you know, one thing I'm I'm interested in because you've run around the world. I mean, like you've you've had the uh, the European experience. You you've run in the NCAA. Uh, you've had this really varied experience of places that that you've run. It sounds like things are going to be very very exciting there tomorrow. 
what what do you what do you think about the the Pacific Distance Carnival? Do you think it'll provide the atmosphere similar to something like like a Europe or like a big NCAA meet? Definitely, I I I think so. You know, I really love that relaxed, but you can feel the excitement from the fans at the same time. You know, because the more the relaxed the atmosphere, the more you know the athletes are less stressed and they're ready to go, and then you know the more cheering during the race you know, then that brings out the faster time. So uh, Chris Winter, who's, you know, putting on the races, I'm very close with him, and he's a great guy, and he's done a lot, you know, for Parasport in BC, and I'm sure he's going to continue doing that. So I'm very honored to, uh, you know, get into the fast heat of of, of his uh, me, for sure. Man, it's uh, it's it's been really interesting to, uh, talking to you Um and congratulations on the improved world record. I'm sure that there's there's more to come. I mean, you're just starting out your season now, and it sounds like uh, things are really coming together for you. So I'm really excited to see what happens with the rest of the season. And, man, I'll definitely be cheering you on, that's for sure. Thanks a lot for being on the show, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Big, big thanks to Nate for being on the show this week. Also, thanks to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find more from us, including a new five-minute segment that we're putting out at the beginning of every single week, just wrapping up what's happened in the Canadian track and field world, then you can do so by subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much wherever you find podcasts, and of course, tracky.ca. While you're there, be sure to drop us a comment or a rating, whatever you feel moved to do, it all helps, and we always enjoy hearing from you. You can follow us on social media at The Terminal Mile. We're on both Twitter and Instagram with that handle. My name is Michael Rokas, and you've been listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.